0: Thank you to the worship team. They're coming together at the very last minute, pinch hitting for, for Jim and him not being here and everything. So thank you so much. You guys. Was awesome. And the bells were spectacular. Thank you. <laughs> Easter Sunday. Uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the, the Good News Sunday. I, there's a lot of ways of putting this. Uh, and in the, the reading that, that we did with uh, this morning from uh, First Corinthians, I'd just like to, to repeat just part of it, verses 3 and 4. It says, For I delivered to you, as of importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today. And it's interesting that, that Paul put that in there so that he could basically say, there are existing witnesses, close to five hundred of them, who had seen him alive. So the idea is that he is alive. Um, the first Easter Sunday wasn't quite the same way in the sense of... of the way they, the, you know, coming into it, let's put it that way. So as we begin the, the message this morning, I'd ask that you join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come to you. We ask that as we open your words, you would open our minds and our hearts. That we would receive from you through your Holy Spirit this morning. Things that will enrich our walk, strengthen our faith, and remind us the awesomeness of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to understand where we come from today in celebrating the resurrection, we need to start with Friday. And there's a, I can recall initially uh, trying to understand Good Friday and crucifixion and trying to put it together, then realizing that Good Friday was the sacrifice of Christ that needed to be made in order for us to be able to be saved. And so it was Good Friday in the context of. What He did for us, and we celebrated. And so uh, the death of Christ in John chapter 19 verses uh, 28 through 30, real quickly, uh, before we get to John chapter 20, where I'm going to focus this morning, said, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to, to fulfill the scripture, "I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Another part of uh, the Gospels, another Gospel says, he cried out, it is finished. And the idea of that phrase, he cried out, was with a loud voice. I'm not going to try to emulate it here, but the idea is that it it was something you could hear for a distance. It is finished. The idea of the word finished uh, a business term paid in full. Nothing owed, complete done. After Jesus died on the cross, it records in John that the Jews asked Pilate to uh, expedite the deaths. of of those on the cross because it was approaching the the Passover evening and they didn't want them hanging on the cross through that. And the way of doing that was that they would break the legs of them while they were hanging. What that would do would, uh, would cause them to be unable to push up on their legs to open their lungs and get a breath. And so they would collapse, they would bow over, their lungs would collapse, and they would suffocate. They asked that this be done. They came to Jesus, and, and the, 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 the one in charge looks up, and basically it's implied that, hey, he's already dead. Well, let's make sure. And they pierced his side because they knew. You've got to understand, these people, this is what they did. This was the, the, the group that did the crucifixion. It wasn't like a, a, a group that just got picked at random. This was their job within the framework of the Roman army. This is what they did. And they knew, oh, check, if you pierce the side at just the right point, it gets into the sack of the heart. And if if the person is dead, it bleeds out with water and blood separated. And so they pierced the side. Indeed, it came out, water and blood. And so they did not break his legs. By the way, both of those things happening were to fulfill prophecy. In Exodus 12, uh, 12 46, it talked about the sacrificial lamb and that they were to be careful in preparation that they not break any bones. The sacrificial lamb was not to have any broken bones. And in Zechariah it says, and they looked upon Him whose side they had pierced. And so we have two Scriptures here being fulfilled at the death of Christ on the cross. Then after that, we read also in in the 19th chapter of of John that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to claim the body of Jesus. Nicodemus, or Joseph of Arimathea, asking Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. He was a prominent Hebrew. And as a result, when he went to Pilate, Pilate just confirmed, made sure, yes, Jesus is dead. Okay, you can have his body. Uh, And what Joseph of Arimathea did was... Had him buried in jo- Joseph's own tomb that had never been used again fulfilling prophecy it said that Jesus and Isaiah said that he would be bur- he would be killed with the criminals and should have been buried in in shame but he would be buried in the rich man's tomb such detail in prophecy being fulfilled at the cross Joseph Brings the, the and, and and Nicodemus comes along and we all remember Nicodemus if you go back into scripture and together they brought spice and, and wrappings to wrap him properly and they laid him in the tomb and the tomb was probably in a garden close by Jerusalem uh, there were several cemetery groups around there there's a, a tomb of the sepulchre uh, and a church over it in in, in most scholars say they don't believe that's where it is. Uh, they think it was closer to the walls and closer to the city. But the idea was that it was Joseph's place, it was Joseph's tomb, and it was unused up to that point, and it was, it was where Jesus was laid. And he was laid in honor instead of in disgust or in shame, which should have happened. As, and so we have this picture of Jesus being honored at his death, and they, they did it quietly, it says in Scripture, that that they didn't want to attract a lot of attention from the Jewish leadership. They just quietly did it because they would have tried to stop that. They would have wanted Jesus buried as a criminal, or which would des- des- definitely just be the equivalent of being tossed into a hole someplace. This sets up for what... Things occurred on Sunday, the first day of the week, and so we turn to John chapter 20, and I'm breaking this up into four parts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to I'm going to let the scripture speak more than myself this morning, because it says it so clearly, and it's uh, we 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 look at it in John chapter 20 verses one through ten. And that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to go through in in four acts, if you will. So, John 20, verses 1-10. through Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. So Peter went out and the other disciple, which, by the way, is John, the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. So John's the first at the tomb. He gets up to it. He bends down and he looks in. The stone is rolled away. Now, there was an earthquake just earlier than this that rolled this stone away. No? You're not sure? <laughs> and, and so what we have is, is the amazing thing, the stone being rolled away. Was it rolled away to let Jesus out? Uh-uh. It was rolled away to let them in to see the empty tomb. There was a seal that was put on the tomb. It was Caesar's seal. And uh, that meant nobody was to disturb it. So if any person had done this, they would have been a a capital crime, worthy of death. The soldiers that were supposed to be watching had fallen asleep. If they had been caught, capital punishment could have been brought on them. But the Jewish leader said, we'll cover for you. You say that somebody came in and stole the body and that's the rumor that went out and that was the story that sustained for a long time and to, for some to to this day believe that's probably what happened but the reality is that the stone is rolled away was to let the us to look in to see what had already happened so here's John looking down in and he sees the grave clothes laying on the on the, the ledge and also noting that the the stone rolled away you know uh, we have uh, this this race of them running uh, to to see this now Mary had come earlier and as she looked she and it implies she looked in didn't see anything so that's what got this whole thing started. Now Peter catches up and as only Peter can do we see. So Peter went out with the other disciples. They, they were going towards the tomb. They were both of them running. And it says, John's looking in and then it says, verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. No hesitation, no stop, just went straight into the tomb. This is rather typical of Peter. He seems to do things spontaneously without a lot of thought. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. What does that tell you now? You know, the face cloth was what they put over Jesus before they wrapped Him. He's been unwrapped. The cloth has been removed and folded and set apart. Is that the indication of someone that was stealing a body? You know, that's just I think that puts it out of reach for me. And so, as Peter goes in, it says the, that, that John uh, saw and, and, and he believed. And Peter, was, he went back with basically saying, I don't get it. And the question is, what did John believe? Let, read it again here in Scripture. It says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John also went in and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I don't know how many commentaries say that he believed a miracle. Even my my most favorite Easter song, He's Alive by Don Francisco, says John believed a miracle. It's not what it says. Because it says right after that they didn't understand that Jesus should rise again. What did he believe? I think he believed Mary. The body's gone. It's been stolen. The disciples go home. Pick it up now in verse eleven. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She had followed them back to the tomb, and as she wept, she stood, stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw the two angels in white sitting there, the body of Jesus where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And by the way, don't be surprised by that. The men on the road to Emmaus didn't know that it was Jesus either. For whatever reason, he blurred their mind for the moment. And and then Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, which would mean the caretaker of of the little cemetery, she said to him, sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Before we go to verse 16, I just want to think. Look at Mary's tenacity here. She is determined to somehow bring everything back together properly for Jesus. She loved him. She's honoring him. And she's going to do it on her own if nothing else happens. And that was a rather ambitious task that she was saying that she was willing to take. Show me where he is. I'll go get him. I'll bring him back where he you know and put him back here. Mary weeping outside the tomb. She looks inside. She sees two angels. Now, it doesn't say that she was startled. Angels frequently appeared, even though they, it says they were dressed in white. It doesn't say that they were glowing, shining, or anything else. Uh they frequently appeared as simply people. And it's very likely that that's the, the thing. She looks in. She sees them sitting there. And again, woman, why are you weeping? And Mary repeats her story. Somebody's stolen the body. don't know where. She Turns around, sees Jesus, but again, doesn't recognize him. She repeats her story to Jesus, the caretaker of the, the, what she thought was the gardener the caretaker of the cemetery. And then she finds it out. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to Him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. By the very way He said Mary, and probably had said it how many times over the period of years that, they, that she followed after Him with all the other people that were following Him and, and, they, and, and knew Him. And the, maybe as even calling back to the point in time where He delivered her. Mary. She turns. Instantly she knows. Rabboni. Teacher. It says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to Me. What do you think she had done? She probably had gone to her knees and grabbed around his legs, cling to don't no no longer cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, "I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God and Mary Magdalene went, and we'll tell get to that in a minute because this phrase of of "Let go i am you know uh, I am ascending to my father and and to my God." Uh, the idea was I'm I, not just so much that I have not ascended yet as much as there's a new thing that is working here. He wasn't buffeting her touching him. Some people think that it had to do with, with, well, he wasn't to be touched before he ascended. When did he ascend? Forty days later. So And he had been touched many times after that. In fact, we'll see that before this story is over again. And so, what was it that it was? I think it's just uh, as as best as we can see, a changing of the relationship. He's not going to be there to cling to anymore. But that's not the end. And she has that confidence at least to know that as she releases, she, he tells her to go and tell you know my brothers and say to them I'm ascending to my father and so Mary says Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples I have seen the Lord and that he and and, and that he had said these things to her I have seen the Lord uh, you could turn around and say He's alive there's so many phrases that we go. And that's why that Don Francisco song is so, so special to me. is It talks about them hiding, and then they see Jesus. He's alive. And it just goes into this great crescendo. And that's the way we should feel. He's alive. I have seen Him. Somebody say, well, I haven't seen Him. Well, read the Scriptures, because it gives us a picture of Him. We don't have to see Him physically to have a, 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 an ability to see Him as the Son of God. It comes from the scripture. And so we have that clearly for us to also say, I have seen Him. I, th- I go to back to the, the day that I accepted the Lord. I felt like that. There was something different in my life. And I knew it with absolute confidence that things were never going to be the same. I feel as she left the tomb... As she listened to Jesus, she went to those disciples, shared with one what had been said, and said, I have seen him. She knew things were never going to be the same. And not in a negative way, but in a positive way. By the way, we have in other scriptures, it says that uh, they didn't believe her. And for that matter, when the, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus came back and told them, Mark uh, says that they weren't believed either. So you have to understand, they weren't expecting a physical, empty tomb, physical resurrection. They didn't know what to expect. In fact, if anything, all their dreams had been crushed. All their plans were shattered. They were hiding in a a room, quietly, (laughs) quietly, in fear that the Romans or the Jewish guard were going to come and get them too. So in John chapter 20, as we continue, it says, Jesus appears to the disciples. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. It's a standard greeting. Shalom. Blessings on you. And there's a number of things that go with that. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, you have to say in a minute, take a minute and say, wait a minute, I, I recall in another Gospel it says that they were frightened initially. In between, it says, peace be with you, and where He shows them their hand, they were frightened. How did He calm them down? He showed them his hand, the hands. He showed them His side. And they said, it is Him. It's really Him. And they were glad. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Stop there for just a minute and understand. He is commissioning them right here, right now. As God has sent me, now I am sending you. He's setting them apart. This very very moment. People say, well, didn't that happen on the day of Pentecost? Not for the disciples. It started here. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the Pentecost experience. This isn't what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's not the same. But it is a parallel to a number of uh, things in the Old Testament where they received the Holy Spirit and were prepared by the Holy Spirit for the task that they were being commissioned for. This is a transition as we see it. The Holy Spirit, I believe, came upon them at this point. They, it says, receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them this statement. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, and then with you hold forgiveness from them, it will be withheld. Somebody's thinking, oh, well, that means they had the power to say who is saved and who's not saved. No, that's not it. It was that as you preach the gospel, some will receive it. You can tell them they have been forgiven. And those who reject it, you can tell them grace is not yours. But it will have to do with the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be their decision. Who makes this decision about who is forgiven and who's not ultimately? The Lord does. Quick look at Thomas. This last section that I wanted to look at in the Gospel of John. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the Twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of of the nails, and place my hand into his side." I will never believe. How do you I don't think you can get more adamant than those the way that's phrased. The only way I'm going to believe, not just seeing him, but touching his wounds. That's the only way I'm going to believe. I must see his hands, touch his hands, and feel his side. Eight days. Eight days go by. And I, and I look at this and I think, Thomas, you've been with these men. How long? Three years. You guys have shared triumph and 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 trials and tribulations together already. You've been through so much. You've got you know, and this is what they're telling you, but Thomas is saying, I have to see it for myself. Now maybe he was a little bit jealous because they had seen. And he says, unless I'm, I'm, I'm treated the same way, I'm not going to believe. I don't know. But look at what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, Shalom, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Now Jesus was, he didn't hear when he said that. He wasn't present. In, at that, that point in time. But he's omniscient. He knows all things. He knew exactly what he had to say to Thomas. He says, okay, Thomas, you, you wanted here's the way you wanted it. Okay, here. Here are my hands. Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Very clear he made his statement of confession there the overall picture that we have here is just one of the, the uh, just you know the first day and, and and then a week later a picture that John felt was important that we would understand this is what has happened the full picture of the Gospels, you need to go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well to put it together. I have shared many times over the years, but if you ever are fortunate enough to find a copy of The Life of Christ in Stereo, purchase it. I heard one person say, well, it was gonna, it, I found one in a news store, but they wanted $25 for a paperback edition. That's not expensive anymore for what some of them are going for. It's worth having in your library Because it puts the Gospels in harmony. And you read through and you can see the whole story. You don't have to go from Gospel to Gospel and back and forth and try to figure out the order. Although that's quite an interesting uh, study that's put there for you. And we get that whole picture of what happened. We go from Friday, the death of Christ, an earthquake that that rips the veil in two, In the temple, what does that tell us? The access to God has changed. No longer are we going to need the high priest to take the sin offering in for us once a year and for himself as well. Instead, we have the high priest, Jesus Christ, who once and for all has gone through the veil that's not made, it's not a temple or a veil made of man, but of God. And and He's gone through. In fact, it says He is the veil. We come through Him. His words that is finished, absolutely done. Nothing for us to bring to the altar in the sense of works to save ourselves. The work is finished. It is complete. It is paid in full. When Jesus says, uh, that, that picture of shalom, peace be with you. I can't help but tie it to the concept of the peace that passes understanding. And the peace that he says I have come to bring. He says, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but I have run, come to bring you peace. Peace that is the reality that we are through Christ, through the finished work of Christ, when we accept with our... Our heart, in fact, Paul puts it in Romans, when I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I am saved. I am now at peace with God. What that means is there's nothing left for me to do for God to recognize me and to bring me into His kingdom. It's been done. What an awesome thing to think about. And it's all because of Easter. It's all because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not one without the other. It there, there has to be the death, the burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you separate any one of those things out of there and try to make it happen, it can't work. It's a concert, a symphony, if you will, put together by God, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and all who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, they are a part of the kingdom of God. What a powerful message for us today. I don't ever presume to know where everybody is with the Lord. Uh, so I, I, I ask clearly this morning that if you do not are not confident in your salvation. Don't leave today without having talked to one of the elders or maybe somebody else you know here who is a believer and discuss it and, if necessary, make a time to get together and, 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 and go through it together. Be confident. God wants us in that position that we know, that we know, that we know that we are in His grace, that we have eternal life. I would uh, like to move from this to communion. In communion, let's uh, go ahead and have the worship team come up, and the ushers pass out the communion, pass it until we've all been served, hold it until we share it together, and then we'll go over a verse together.